everyone, and welcome back to another episode of N-Express Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of Goombastomp.com. I'm your host, Cameron Daxon. Joining us, we have games editor Mark Kalaroff. We're all finally back together again. It has been a, a, a hot minute since we've all been in the same uh, fake room together. We also, of course, <laughs> the other person, the other part of this trio, indie games editor Campbell Gill. I'm back, and we'll see whether I'm better than ever, depending on how this episode goes. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, sometimes a week off is like, oh, you're you know fresh. We've got plenty of things to talk about. And sometimes it's you know just for the worse, and we're all out of practice. So we're gonna see how this goes. <laughs> uh, it's been a an interesting week. So obviously E3 is upon us. Not quite, but it's coming up. So I imagine the next show, or maybe the one after that, will do like predictions, hopes and dreams, and fears, and all that kind of stuff for E3. However, because everything's digital this year, a lot of publishers and developers are just kind of throwing caution to the wind and just throwing out news news uh what do you call them? news announcements so we had a dragon quest 35th anniversary stream just a couple nights ago and of course uh the morning of this recording we had a little sonic stream all right hold on am i am i misremembering the days here the uh the anniversaries the yeah. sonic stream was the was it just like Sonic in general, or was it also an anniversary? I forget. It was an anniversary, the 30th anniversary. So the 30th, okay, that's, that's why. So the 30th anniversary of Sonic, so Sonic Team had a little presentation this morning, and then Dragon Quest had the 35th anniversary celebration. So two two gigantic franchises. I would say, you know, whether whatever you think about Sonic, inarguably one of the most <laughs> popular franchises. <laughs> this is very much world. directed at Mark right there. Um, listen, I had nothing against the blue blur. Actually, but, uh, th this presentation was pretty good. <laughs> it, okay, well, let's get into it. So uh, right off the gate, well, uh, this is where we talk about Sonic. Let's talk about Sonic first. So right off the gate, we had some technical difficulties. It straight up reversed. It oh was my amazing. God. It was so funny. Like, I was excited. Everybody was hyped. We, we popped on the stream, and then it instantly crashed, <laughs> which I thought was just very funny. Uh, but once I got back on track, of course, they, they started to be, like, some interesting stuff. So first off, there was some weird non-Sonic non game stuff. Like, it was, like, it was like Sonic guest appearances in other games, which I thought was sort of interesting. You, you could... Uh, yeah, like, what did you guys think about that? I thought it was so interesting. I thought that I was... thought it was a highlight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not I, only... I didn't hate it. I was just, like, I was just baffled as to what it was. I know. It was amazing for it to start with not a Sonic game, but with Sonic showing up in pretty much every other game that Sega has is putting out in the next few months. So it, yeah. it made that vanilla-looking Olympics game actually look amazing because you have these somewhat realistic human models, and then, boom, there's Sonic just running around, you know? It was <laughs> hilarious to see, like, proportional human-sized Sonic <laughs> with a little, little fire by his feet, like, running down the track. I thought that was, like, hysterical. I can't tell if this is a meme game. Like, I don't know what is going well, on. Well, it's the 2020 Olympics, which, you know, that game didn't yeah. age too well. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's hysterical. Um... So I don't know. I mean, listen. I'm always happy to see like weird crossovers. So yeah, put put Sonic in the 2020 Olympics. Like, why not? Let's go. Let's go crazy. Mm -hmm. Or finally funny. being able to play Sonic the Fighters in Lost Judgment, which is crazy. Yeah. What a again an utterly crazy crossover. Um, I've never even heard of this game. Sonic the Fighters? Oh, Sonic man. Sonic the Fighters. Never yeah. heard of it. It is a cult classic as far as I'm aware because it is 
an aggressively mediocre fighting game from what I, was I about know. To say, but cult classic. <laughs> it's cult classic because it's so the strange word. in the Sonic uh pantheon, one might say. Right. Because it's like the only fighting game in the series. It's a, it was an arcade game that didn't come to consoles until they started, you know, rehashing Sonic games and all those collections starting on like the PS2 and PS3. So right. it's such a fascinating game that's not I don't think it's super accessible these days, so it's fun to give players an indirect way to experience it now. Well, that, and that's the funny part, is that you say it's not super accessible. It's still still not accessible. You have to buy another game and then find the arcade cabinet within that game. To that play is a game. pantheon of accessibility right there. The epitome oh, of it, I should God. say. I think it's just absolutely hysterical. I love um, that. That said, I, I do want to play that Judgment game. It looks very good. Um, I wonder if they will... I, who knows? I, I wonder if people will like get so excited about being able to access this this you know quote unquote hidden gem that they will port a standalone version to like Switch or something like that. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, it'd be great to see like M two work on that. You know, it would be fun to see it get the Sega what's it called Sega Dreams um, treatment something like that. Yeah, oh, Dreamcast knows? collection. Ooh. Well, it didn't come to Dreamcast, though. It was... Oh, it wasn't on Dreamcast. No. I re- I actually did some research this morning. They planned it, a Sega like Saturn port. Or, oh, Sega Saturn. Wow. But they planned a port for a Sega Saturn, but it never happened because I guess the game just straight up wasn't good enough for it. So, and it's just been such a strange entry for so long. But now we're going to be able to play it in, like you say, the most accessible way possible. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, it, it, an interesting mix of, like, weird crossovers uh sonic and other games and then they did announce like hey also you're gonna get the classic collection that is exciting to me because that's 100 percent gonna come to switch you know what i mean oh that was in my view like the best announcement of the presentation because on the one hand oh boy it's yet another sega collection they've put out like 30 of these over the past decade but here's the thing not only does it include just all the standard sonic genesis games but it includes sonic 3 and knuckles and that is so important because that game has been in copyright hell for the past uh, 10, 20 years and it's been so difficult to actually find a way to play it. Whenever they re-release Sonic games, they can't do Sonic 3 because of issues with the music. So it's so amazing that they're finally giving this um, the modern treatment now and putting it on new platforms. I wonder how they manage that. You know, like what kind of workarounds happen to make this uh, possible? But it's so great to hear that happen. Maybe they replaced the soundtrack. I've heard didn't, rumors uh, of that. Michael Jackson work on it or someone, right? Yeah, that's the rumor at the very least. Michael Jackson worked on it, but then because of all the stuff that was surrounding Michael Jackson at the time, <laughs> uh, they couldn't put his name on the game. On so. it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's so fascinating. Then at the same time, they also said that there are going to be new features in. Uh, these versions of the games well, in the collection, I mean, which that, is like that's probably just like save states or something like <laughs> yeah, that. potentially. But at the same time, replay type stuff. But think of it this way, though: the developers who made Sonic Mania, they put out versions of Sonic One and Two on mobile that included a lot of new quality of life features. So I wonder if they're tapping that kind of experience again to kind of elevate these these titles for the new release. I right, listen. I am hopeful. I'm hopeful for this collection. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be good. Like here's the thing. Even if, it, even if it's just the most bare-bones port, like, if their quote-unquote new features are just borders or save states, even if it's just really basic bare-bones features, it'll still be, you know, four or five, you know, Stone Cold classics. So it's, either way, it's going to be great. Um, the Sonic 
what is it? Sonic Colors Ultimate Edition, something like that. Yep, that's the title. <laughs> so I, I never played uh, this one. Me neither, actually. It's said to be like the best Sonic game. I, I have heard among the more recent Sonics, it's one of the better ones. Uh, the, the the most recent Sonic game I've played, so this is going back ten years, is probably Sonic Generations. So I'm like mm-hmm. way behind. Yeah, same. Um, that was the last heard, uh, 3D Sonic I played. Yeah, yep. but I've heard Colors is is really really good. So it's it's cool to see a, you know, the the full complete you know best looking possible version of that game. I think that that's a that's exciting. Yeah, and once again, they teased some new features and up upgrades and whatnot. But again, we didn't actually get to see any of those yeah. in the trailer. So hopefully, before it releases, we'll get to see some of those. And hopefully, it's more than just an HD coat of paint. But even then, right. it's still presumably an amazing game that I've but we, really we wanted to play. So we, we, I forget. Did, we, did they announce if it was coming to Switch or not? Oh yeah, no, it's yeah, coming to that everything. That was coming to Switch. Yeah. Okay, good. That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. So, so the a, a kind of a funny thing that's been comparing these two announcement uh anniversary videos has been the dragon quest one they were like very refusing to discuss what consoles <laughs> anything was coming to it was kind of kind of hysterical whereas the sonic one they were very they're a little more transparent about like here's what's coming to what uh which is cool and of course they tease some new big 3d sonic game barely like they barely teased it <laughs> yeah supposedly um, it's called rangers Oh really? Oh, where, where did you? Yeah, did you there that? was a there was this massive like 4chan leak from like five months back, and he detailed everything. And then someone was looking through. I think it was like the announcement sites coding or something, and they found like Rangers teaser was what the video was called. Oh, so mm. that's probably like yeah. the development name. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, supposedly um, it's going to be an open world Sonic game. Open world, really? Which would be interesting. Huh. And it's supposedly going to have like the. Uh, upgrade chains that like games like shadows of mordor and like assassin's creed have with like all the upgrades and stuff like that i'm scared now (laughs) (laughs) don't be scared don't be scared so yeah so it should be i don't know a pretty a pretty decent sonic street uh i keep calling it a stream uh sonic anniversary celebration video and of course they tease like hey there's gonna be more stuff coming throughout the year like obviously they just kind of wanted to get this in before e3 so so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what else gets revealed or announced in the coming couple of months. And of course, uh, they announced that during the, I can't remember if it was during E3 week or, or somewhere around there, they're going to have like a, a Crush 40 concert, which sounds kind of fun. Because um, Sonic music is always, always great. Not just Crush 40, but symphonic adaptations of the music as well, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. I do love Sonic music. Like for for as much as I don't really li- like play Sonic games, Sonic music is wonderful. Yeah, that's a beautiful um, thing about about the series. It may be polarizing yeah. in nearly every single respect, but everyone loves the music. So it's true. Yeah, that's well, true. Well, it was funny. Yeah. So uh, to to kind of transition it to the Dragon Quest talk, every time I hear that Dragon Quest main theme, I get excited. Oh like yeah, the, man. Da, 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 da. Like it's so good. And even though they replayed it probably 10 times during that little 35th anniversary celebration video. Still got hype every time. And that still um, wasn't enough times to play that song. So Put it on more. Put it on a loop, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, what a contrast in terms of announcement videos. The Dragon Quest 35th anniversary stream was so chaotic. It was crazy. They tried to simultaneously dub it 
as it was happening, but they only had one translator. So you got Yuji Hori and the host just kind of talking at each other very rapidly, like very back and forth. They're clearly excited to talk about Dragon Quest. And this poor translator just trying to translate everything in English, trying to speak both sides of the conversation, just impossible to keep up. Like the most, one of the most chaotic things I've ever seen. And then of course you got Yuji Hori, the, the creator of Dragon Quest, very excited to, to celebrate the 35th anniversary of this, of this series. Every time he would try to spoil some fun detail, like you had the PR people in the background off camera, like blowing a whistle, like ringing a bell, like, no, you can't say that. Like, it was so crazy. This was the epitome of Japanese live streams, just in terms of oh how wacky and surreal the whole thing was. I felt like I felt like I was watching Terrace House. It was so good. Um, <laughs> like it, it should like, have been pre-recorded. It, it really should have been pre-recorded. Yeah. Like, how do they? How do they not just like have the live stream for the Japanese people and then just dub over it an hour later? Like, I have no idea. Yeah, because honestly, um, the first half of the presentation just felt like a constant slap in the face to Western audiences because ooh, they were like, brutal. look at this amazing game. You're not going to be able to play it. They literally said yeah. Dragon Quest X. They showed off new updates for that. And for those who aren't aware, that's a Dragon Quest MMO that's been exclusive to Japan for literally 10 years now. Fans have been begging for it to come over, and when it showed up in this presentation... Cameron and I were both like, oh my gosh, is this a new game coming to the West? And then the, when the producer came on to talk about the game, he was talking about, hey, we've got all these cool new features coming to it. It's the best version of the game yet. And then a little notice came up over the subtitles. No plans for an international release. It's yeah. just, man. Absolutely gut punch. <laughs> really was. like It was very clearly not presented with... Uh, international audiences in mind. Yes, yeah, yeah. Camp- Campbell mentioned last night, like, well, you can tell the show was just not designed for anybody from the West to watch. Um, that said, there was a lot of stuff to get excited about. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing in the room for me was far and away that Dragon Quest Three remake oh the game looks so good just take oh it and God. inject it into my blood like oh my yeah. gosh that game looks incredible well and, and i was i was telling campbell uh, we were talking about it on slack last night dragon quest 3 is one of my one of my defining games of my of my childhood i would say i played the heck out of it on my game boy color when they remade it for game boy color I never played the original on the NES, but my, the Game Boy Color version of the game, I, I poured hundreds of hours and like just replaying it over and over and over again. I wanted characters of every class in my party. Like I found all the secret weapons, did the secret dungeons. Like just adored that game, and I, I have waffled on whether or not to pick up the port that they brought over to Switch, uh, the mobile port that they just put on Switch. And it's always on sale. It's, it's less than like eight dollars most of the time. And I was like, ah, should I should I buy it? Like, it's not like the it's not the version I remember, but it'll still be a solid game. And then they announced this, and I'm like, well, never mind. I will pay full price for this utterly gorgeous remake. It looks like a ground up remake with from in the in the Octopath Traveler style. Unbelievable. Absolutely. And I will just say that ever since Octopath Traveler came out, absolutely adored that game. One of my favorite RPGs on the Switch. I have wanted Square to start remaking its classic games in that same graphical style. And now they're finally doing that. And it's so good to see it. It looks amazing in this style. I played Dragon Quest 3 on the the Super NES remake that actually never came over to the West. Don't ask how I managed to play it. But um, <laughs> but it's so... It's one- neither here nor there. It's a mystery. Exactly. It's a mystery. Uh, but at the same time, it's so magical to see it remade in this style. It looks yeah. drop-dead gorgeous. 
it yeah. is absolutely one of my most hyped games now on the horizon and i'm just really anxious to see more more information from it and i hope that you know one of the things that uh, Hori was talking about in the presentation that the PR people wouldn't let him talk about was that he hopes to remake the first two games in the series in the same style yeah. if this one does well. So it's just so exciting to think that this it's, could be opening the gates listen, for these kind of pro games. Pro tip, pro tip, it's gonna do well. Like <laughs> in Japan the, at the very least, yeah. Well, here's the thing, like I, I people not people, I would say me personally, I always forget that Dragon Quest is one of the most popular franchises on the planet. Like I just forget it. Like it's it up there with it's up there with Final Fantasy. It's up there with Pokemon. Like people oh, yeah. love Dragon Quest. Uh so much so that there's like Dragon Quest cafes in Japan. There's like there's a holiday like, dedicated to There's a freaking holiday dedicated like it's crazy how much influence this uh franchise has on the world. It, it hasn't caught on quite as much in the West, but it's still a very very big deal. Dragon Quest 11, people love that game. It's one of the top Switch games uh, out there, so so I think that this remake of Dragon Quest Three is going to do very well. I have I have no doubt in my mind. I I'm hoping that it gets, uh, you know, on Switch right away. I, I can't imagine it it won't. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm really excited about because although yeah, the first few announcements were Japan exclusive. When they started talking about worldwide releases, they weren't just saying that yeah, we hope to release this internationally as well as in Japan. They specifically said simultaneous worldwide release, yes, which is a huge deal for Dragon Quest because with all the previous mainline games, those released in Japan first and either never came to the West until they eventually got like remade a decade later or it came out a year or two later. Dragon Quest Eleven came out in Japan in 2017, didn't come to the West until a year later. So it's so interesting to see them finally take the plunge and commit towards making Dragon Quest a truly international series, not just this Japanese novelty that's really big elsewhere, and now we're just kind of going to send it overseas and see how it does. They're making it a truly global franchise. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's not to mention, you know, Dragon Quest Twelve was officially of course, shown off they, here, they too. Did, they did officially tease Dragon Quest Twelve, which, again, we know next to nothing about that game other than they they claim it will be a kind of a darker in tone dragon quest their exact words dragon quest for adults a dragon quest for adults big boy questing dragon dragon quest after dark we'll see uh we'll see what that means i don't know i i hope it comes to it'll eventually come to switch i have no doubt Mm -hmm. but it'll probably be one of those ones where it comes out on uh the more powerful consoles first and then kind of goes from there we'll see yeah here's one thing i found today about it actually it is being built in unreal engine 5 so straight up next generation um graphics interesting and as far as i'm aware i don't know if switch supports unreal 5 or not that's a great great on the one hand i can't imagine a world where dragon quest doesn't come to the most popular console in japan but at the same time i also don't know if that console is going to be able to handle it so that's true the possibility i I think is perhaps like dragon quest 11 came out in two separate versions in japan one on ps4 and one a completely different game on 3ds so maybe we can have that um come in the future who knows i don't even think unreal engine 5 is out (laughs) <laughs> well, again, well, this game's not going to come out till at least 2022. Oh, yeah, we, we probably. Know that, we know that yeah. for sure. So, we, we, you know, there's a little time for them to figure out what's going on, which which platforms, which, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, anything else that jumped out regarding these uh, these two celebration events? That, to me, that was the biggest the biggest stuff, the highlights. But uh, was there any other little, little, little teases or little things that, that caught your attention? 
Ooh, I love the whole thing with the Roger Craig Smith as Sonic, how they're like, he's returning. Like, the return people fired him Roger. for like a week. <laughs> it was like, what well, is, is there a return? I mean, technically, I know, right? yes, it is a return, but not very much of one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, even, I don't even think most people knew he was gone, you know? It, it, that's that's kind of funny. But listen, good for him. You know, he's a great voice actor. Congrats. Congrats to Roger Craig Smith. Um, and congrats to... I guess both of these, both of these franchises for for sticking it out. Um, Dragon Quest, what an achievement! And Yuji Horii, like wow, what a what a what a great, like he's up there with with Miyamoto and and in some people's eyes, you know what I mean? He's he's a he's a legend in the industry. So I think it's it was really cool to like have him celebrate uh, the the anniversary with with you know the, the the people of the world. I thought that was great. Even if we couldn't actually understand him or anything, it, his enthusiasm was so clear and so infectious, especially shown by the constant whistling of the people off stage, just being like, stop talking about this or that. Please tone it down. Yeah, I thought that was great. Um, all right, so that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about a different RPG. So stay tuned for a little bit of Metopia. Um, and we'll be right back. us a little bit about an RPG formerly on the 3DS now on the Nintendo Switch called Miitopia. These reviews up on the site right now. Uh, what an odd little game and <laughs> what a triumph to have it rebirthed on the Switch. Do you want to why don't you tell us a little bit about Miitopia, Campbell? Yeah, that is exactly my thoughts about this game as well, because on the one hand, Mii's feel like, in a way, a thing of the past. They were a defining element of the Wii, to a lesser extent of the Wii U, and now with the Switch, it's easy to forget that there even is a Mii Maker in the console. So it's so strange and almost surreal to not only see Nintendo putting out a game that's all about Mii's on the Switch, but to see it blow up on social media, to see people going crazy creating these characters and creating these insanely detailed versions of characters from all sorts of media in this little RPG. So for those who aren't aware, Metopia is basically a very, very straightforward RPG following me's of your creation, going on the quest, a fantasy adventure, has elements like turn-based combat, all that kind of good stuff. But the main th the main attraction is kind of like just alluding to the fact that you can create your Mii's, essentially build your own story out of so it. So can I can I I want to I want to I want to interrupt you right there. Uh -huh. um, have either of you made Mii's for your Switch? I have not. No. 
No. <laughs> I have not either. That's interesting. Haven't touched so it. I, yeah, I mean, I, I made one when I had my, my 3DS just because, like, oh, it's kind of fun. And it has that game, that Face Raiders game. Well, but and I Street never Pass. Made... It was like a huge and deal. Street, uh, and Street Pass as well. Yeah. But I, I never uh, never made one for my Switch just yet. I, although I will say, when I look at my friends list, most of my friends have made little Miis for themselves. So it's not it's totally uncommon, but I but it is interesting, uh, Campbell, that I, I, I always forget that it's there as well. So I, I guess I'm not alone in that. Right. Um, so I imagine when you boot up this game, the, the first thing you do is make a me. Yep, that is exactly the first thing you see, and it really shows that the mm. emphasis isn't on the story, it is on the gameplay, it's on just creating the wackiest characters you possibly can. And that awesome. is not only the main appeal of the game, but that's the main improvement that Nintendo has made in this remaster of it. So not only does it have just your standard me maker that you've already seen if you created me on switch but also has a brand new like makeup and wig making feature that allows you to oh. create these like that's how you create these insanely detailed characters that you've seen go viral over the past few weeks you can use makeup to like you know change the color of a character's face you can add these intricate little details to the point where people have even made like the mona lisa in here and it straight up looks like the mona lisa so it is insane how powerful this system is so that's where the main improvement of this game lies yeah i, I appreciated that in your review you you made a point to to kind of shout out a few of the the great creations that people have made you, you put a link to somebody who'd made a great zagreus me I love that um, which one. I, I, I very much appreciate it. So, yeah, I, I think it's... And if you look at uh, the Goomba Stomp website, I think Tony has has featured... She made at least one or two articles featuring some really great uh, Miis that people have made. Yeah, she did. I believe she actually made three. Oh, great. Even better. Awesome. So, yeah, so make sure to, to check those out, too, once you're, once you're done listening to this podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, so Campbell, why don't, you, why don't you talk a little bit about... Because it's an RPG, right? It is indeed. In it the very a, a, loosest sense. <laughs> in the, okay, well, I, we got to get into that because I know Mark is not the RPG guy. I would say out of the three of us, I'm, I'm probably the RPG guy. Yes, I don't know. Campbell, I know you enjoy a, a role-playing game as well, but uh, what, how would you say this one stacks up in terms of RPG-ness? Mm. So if we're considering RPG-ness, are we stripping away the whole me factor as well and just looking at the mechanics in their own right. Yeah, like, like we'll, yep. we'll get to the me factor, but like, because I know that you, we were just talking about Dragon Quest. Uh, we've all played Pokemon games. Um, I'm just curious to see how it kind of, you know, stacks up to this. Yep. So I would have to say that if you want, say, your first RPG, you want to get your kids into RPGs, this is perfectly fine for that. If you want anything more than that, it, this game is aggressively simple, almost, in terms of the way its mechanics play out. So much of the game is actually automated. It plays itself in many ways. So the way that the gameplay works is that when you wander around the overworld, it has this top-down overworld like you've seen in, say, it's honestly more akin to, like, Mario World in the way the overworld works rather than, say, an RPG like Dragon Quest. You select a level and you walk automatically through it. There's no element of exploration in there. Then when you get into battle... It is a turn-based combat system akin to something you'd see in, say, traditional Final Fantasy games, but every character plays automatically except for your player character. So your whole party fights on its own, and the only one you have direct control over is your own hero. So, so, yeah. so fi- fights automatically, like 
like they just choose from a pool of skills that they have? Do you do you set them up to be like, oh, you're the healer, you're the aggressive one? Like, how does that work? Yeah, the one element you do have is when a character does join your party, you can set what their character class is. So it's a lot of stuff that you've seen in any other RPG. Your mage, your knight, thief, things of that sort. And then a few wackier ones, like one of my favorite was a pop star. So you can choose those character classes which define the abilities they have. And the pop star is great because it's like a support class. You can sing to encourage your party members or sing a really uh, dissonant melody to just grate on your enemy's ears. It's great. But so it's, same so it's like the, it's the, the Metopia bard, it sounds like. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. So, you know, you, you choose those character classes and that kind of defines how they're, you know, what abilities you have for each party member. But that's the only element of control you have over that. When you're actually in battle, everybody plays on their own. You don't even have something like, say, in Dragon Quest, where you can uh, direct your party to fight automatically, but you can choose from a list of strategies to be like, oh, focus on healing, focus on fighting aggressively. You don't have any element of control like that. It essentially does play itself until it gets to your turn. Interesting. So, okay, well, let's talk about that then. So when, when it gets to your turn... How does that, how, do, how does, I'm just so curious, I'm sorry to be like picking it apart like this, how does leveling up work in this game? Is it truly like, you battle a guy, you gain 10 experience points, once you reach 100 you gain a level and you choose a skill, is it, is it like truly that basic or is there anything, like can you customize your guys in, in terms of their specialties and all that kind of stuff? It is very much that basic as you described. It's actually a little more basic than that because when you gain an additional level, you don't say go to a skill tree and choose which new skills you can uh, develop. Instead, it's just very linear in terms of you gained a level, you learned this new ability, and then you just go on your way. So that's the way it works. At sometimes you do get to choose like, oh, you got some bonus at EXP. Who gets the additional experience? You get to pick who gets that. Um, and then in so there are some sections as well where you can like feed your party members like special food or meals to boost their stats in one way or another. But that's about the highest level of customization you get from a from a stats perspective. So so you did mention early on that uh, mm -hmm. obviously the Mies are the focus. Right. So I, I know it's a simple RPG. Obviously they're they're trying to kind of push you towards creating fun Mies and and having that kind of experience. Were you still engaged by the by the mechanics? To a certain extent, yes. And also no. So it really depends because on the one hand, if you if you it depends really on what you enjoy in an RPG. If you enjoy like coming up with these really intricate strategies and taking down these enemies using this delicately maneuvered plan, that's you won't have any elements of that here. It's impossible. But if you like just the simple satisfaction of leveling up your characters, seeing them gain new abilities, you get all of that, and it's easier than ever because of how the game plays itself. And it actually does have a fast forward button that you can just by pressing down the B button, you can the whole game can play in um, like twice as fast. So that way you can rush through battles, which is very, very much appreciated in my case when you don't even have control over your party. So that's where you do get the satisfaction, though, because you're still growing stronger. You're still going through battles a little easier the more battles you fight because, you know, you're gaining new abilities, you're you know, boosting your stats and so on. So it's very much a balance that way. I found myself overall enjoying it, even if there were a few times like towards, I think, the middle of the game when the pace kind of lags a little bit and I'm just like 
I don't really want to just slog through another auto battle. I just want to go on with the story or get to an opportunity where I can just play with my Miis, get them to interact with one another, or customize them a bit. So when you're when you're cruising through this game, obviously there's you know there's I imagine there's some semblance of a plot. <laughs> Is there the chance for you just mentioned for your Miis to interact? I'm I'm imagining something like. Tales of Symphonia or something like mm-hmm. that where your party can kind of like have little conversations. Is there anything quite like that? Yes, there is. And that is, in my view at least, where the game is at its best. So not only when you're wandering through these um, individual levels will there be specific moments where, say, it slows down and your characters talk to each other. Like, oh, wow, I tripped on this thing. Here, let me give you a hand up. And then the characters bond that way. But at the end of every level, you find an inn, and when you're staying at the inn, you can make your characters bond with one another. And you do that by uh, partaking in a few specific activities. On the one hand, you can have them sleep in the same room together, which makes them grow tighter and fonder of each other. And then every time that they gain a new level of like um, of closeness with each other, then they'll have like a conversation. And oftentimes it's a really like silly, lighthearted discussion about like, oh, I heard this about this other character. Let's talk about that. Or, oh, wow, the, I, I suddenly remembered this fun moment from my past. And then they talk about that. But I think the, the really important highlights are that you can take characters on outings, essentially like either just they go to hang out with each other. Or if you want to try and make it feel like it's romantic, you can call it a date. But you can send your characters out to, say, go to the beach or go to the cafe or the library together. And as they do so, they'll have conversations, they'll bond. And then what I think really sets it apart, what really makes this system great, is that not only when characters bond do they just have better conversations with each other and have more opportunities to uh, interact with each other. But that bleeds into the combat as well, because the closer a character is, the more they'll help each other out in battle. They'll do things like, oh, I'll go shield you from this blow because I'm your friend, or I'll help you out and make this attack stronger because I want you to do well. So it does have a lot of those elements of character interaction, and they blend together that way to both affect the story and the, the combat as well so it's really interconnected that way interesting well there you go so it sounds as though for people looking for like a super challenging rpg they might be better off taking a look at something like the the recently released shin megami tensei nocturne or even going back to like dragon quest 11s what uh, a contrast to from metopia to uh shin megami nocturne yeah although you could make metopia feel dark if you really wanted to depending on the me's you create so Uh, yeah listen i want to see the dark me take me to the dark me's i want to see them um And that's really where the silliness lies, though, because not only does it have these pre-scripted um, story moments, but then when you're, you've created these characters to be so absurd or to come from such unrelated media and put them all together in this like wild mashup, that makes the story moments so much more fun. So, for example, in my party, I created some characters from... Uh, Attack on Titan, as well as some Zelda characters as well. So seeing, you know, say, Levi Ackerman helping up Link, uh, you know, shield them from from an attack or something of that sort. It's so silly to see that stuff in action. And then you can go online and see videos of people who create these wild parties and to see these characters interact that would absolutely never work together in, you know, if you try to actually create an intentional mashup with them. It's so fun to see that play out. I Kimball, I don't that. know if you mentioned this. Oh, mm-hmm. 
Sorry. Oh, no, not at all. So I was just going to say, I, I love what you just described, Campbell. It's like my, my fever dream. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. What I was going to say was that um, Grezco, is that how you say them, developed this game? I think it was just Grezo, but yeah. they Grezo. did. De- yeah, so yeah. F- for those who don't know, they're the team that made all the uh, Zelda remakes on the 3DS and also the recently released, or I guess it's actually not recent, wow, time flies, um, the, the remake of Link's Awakening on Switch. So this is a very interesting departure for them to remaster this game and not the Zelda title. Yeah, that is and an is a... I wonder what that portends for the future. You know what I mean? Like, I know we've, we've talked a lot on this show about different ports coming to Switch down the line. I, I, I feel like, you know, they did Link's Awakening, they did this game. It's like, surely they're the, they're the port guys now, right? Right, they're the port guys, but I think they were most closely associated with Zelda. So it's interesting to see them essentially go the polar opposite and not work on any established Nintendo IP and instead work on this weird little 3DS game that as far as I'm aware, it kind of fell under the radar when it released. So it's not exactly perhaps the 3DS game that many people would have wanted to see remastered for Switch. I think there'd be a larger, there's been a larger demand for games like, say, um, Star Fox 64 3D to come to Switch or the Zelda remakes to come to Switch. But it's still a very solid remake on their part. They're they're always good at what they've done. So be interesting to see uh, Tomodachi Life. That right. would be an interesting yeah. one to see. Yeah, that's, like that's a natural progression from this point. So it would definitely be interesting to see either a remake or perhaps a sequel of some sort for that. Again, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me, Like depending on how well this one goes over. It seems like people are really liking it and, and enjoying the customization features and all that kind of stuff. So who, who knows? This version of the game on Switch is really solid, and what I found so fascinating about it is that, you know, it wasn't by any means a graphical stunner back when it was on the 3DS. In fact, the art style is kind of this weird mishmash of the bobble-headed me designs, 2D art for the cutscenes, and then this, like, kind of 3D, or 2.5D, I should say, exploration in the overworld and in the levels. So the style is so strange, but it really does look really good on Switch. Grezzo hasn't just up it or anything. They've gone and created these surprisingly lush environments. Like some factors such as the water, the forests, elements like that look really, really quite beautiful. And it's impressive to have so many almost conflicting art styles play together in a game that isn't exactly, say, cutting edge visually, but it's still a very pleasing, uh, pleasing visual uh, creation that way. Yeah, I love when they when they go really hard on things that you wouldn't expect them to. Like nobody's like, "Wow, I really hope that Metopia looks incredible," but it's like, uh, "No, we're we're gonna we're gonna really go for it." Like I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they haven't really gone above and beyond in too many ways in this port. You know, like I said, the visuals are good, but in terms of the game itself, the only main additions that I can see are the the makeup and wig system which kind of alluded to before that's how you've created these insanely complicated me's um and while that is only one aspect of the game it is pretty significant because that's helped a lot of people get on board with it be like whoa this crazy game where i can create all these wild characters um it's a simple little addition that makes a big difference it seems but then the only other addition that Nintendo's been really pushing almost surprisingly hard is the inclusion of the horse to your party, which is like, okay, having played the game, I wouldn't say that the horse is anywhere near game changing or like 
really all that important even, but it's a nice inclusion, I suppose. So I love it. Yeah, put put a horse, bring a horse in every game. Like why not? Yeah, as Nintendo <laughs> has said many times, this inclusion of the horse is pretty barn good. To which I say, nay. Oh well, that's a great point to end this segment on. I what, think, one thing I need I, to add, though, is that mm-hmm. I named my horse. Do you want to guess when I named it? Oh I'm, God, I'm scared. Oh, no. I'm scared to guess. <laughs> Please, just just rip the bandaid off. Nathan. Nathan, incredible. Ten yep. out of ten. Thank you. It behooves very, me very to good. make that pun. Oh, it's still happening. Oh, okay, wow. We, we got to... We gotta, this is going downhill it's, fast. It's overstayed its welcome. It really I has. I love it. I love it. Uh, Campbell, so make sure you check out Campbell's review of Metopia over on Goomastomp.com. It's a, it's a nice little review for a very charming um, port of this game. So congrats on that, Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're going to take one more quick break. We'll be back with an indie spotlight for you all. So stay tuned. spotlight for you all so campbell recently put a review again this is just the campbell show this episode he's he's had his vacation we're gonna put him to work for this episode so as is only fair it's only fair uh campbell reviewed for the website recently aerial knights never yield a it's an auto runner an extremely stylish auto runner made by i think just one guy is that correct yep just one guy did all the game development he had some help with the music but overall it was just his creative vision and that's why his name is in the title yeah which uh an interesting move and uh one that i think will lead to more creators doing the same thing for for their independent games mm-hmm. uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about aerial knights never yield so like you just said aerial knights never yield is an, ex- an incredibly stylish auto runner kind of in the vein of something like your bit trip runners games of that sort but what really sets this apart is in my view at least its soundtrack which is so incredibly funky yet jazzy at the same time and it really creates this overall atmosphere in the game its story is incredibly vague it doesn't give you a lot of very concrete details but what you do get is this incredibly clear sense of style and purpose in large part due to the distinctive soundtrack and the i would say not exactly oppressive but almost dark uh, color scheme and style so even if the story isn't very specific in it what you do get is it's a story about freedom it's a story about this character who's just running away running away from these abstract forces that are trying to take him down 
And as he does so, it's this very creative and personalized vision to the point where when you're playing through it, you can tell why the creator put his name on it. It is very personalized to what he in particular wants to express with it. I wouldn't say that it is the greatest example of its genre. It doesn't reinvent the formula. And in fact, it almost feels like it's over before it really gets going. It takes only about an hour and a half to get through the entire campaign on normal difficulty. And it only gets faster as you go through the more intensive difficulties. But even then, I still think it's solid at what it attempts to do. And because of that soundtrack and that distinctive sense of purpose, that's why I think it's it still earns a place for itself, and it's still a worthwhile title overall. Yeah, it's I, I played the demo when it was announced during that Switch indie showcase a few maybe like a month back or so, and mm-hmm. uh, both Campbell and I were very taken with with the demo, and so I'm glad to hear that the the, the full experience kind of continues along that trend. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of a I love in your in your review you highlight that it's an ode to freedom, which I think is very very cool. Something about this game that really does stand out is it does feel, even though it might not have like, you know, here's the cutscene that explains the plot. It does have kind of this anti-establishment sort of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, the vibe I got, I mean, again, this is this is made by a guy who's from Detroit, uh, mm-hmm. a, a black man from Detroit, like. He's he's probably seen some some stuff, um, I, I imagine, and I and I feel like that comes through, kind of kind of in the anti-establishment nature of the game. Like it's called Never Yield. It's like clearly that's like, you know, it's it's speaking truth to power. So that's kind of the vibe I get from it, at least. I mean, again, I haven't completed the game myself, but I can't. Campbell, I imagine you would have more to say about that. Yeah, you definitely do get that overall sense in it. Um, not only is the overall environment inspired by Detroit, but it's also a blend with Tokyo as well. So you can see in oh, cool. the skyline and in the style of the buildings, the architecture, yeah, it looks very much like Detroit, but there's also Japanese characters throughout it. There's the way the cutscenes are designed, it kind of is inspired by like action anime, things of that sort. Yeah, so you get yeah. that cultural blend in there, and it really creates this unique atmosphere for it so there were a lot of really cool moments throughout the game cool um environments you go through levels things of that sort that do tap into that overall that that overall style and direction with it yeah well i think uh something that's certainly worth mentioning is that you talk about how like the the color scheme is pretty dark you're running through a lot of like dark corridors you know it's like kind Mm -hmm. of this dusk feel as you're running through the game but a lot of the obstacles that you're jumping over are color-coded that, right, so, so the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that is, I think, where the game really excels in its mechanics. Because on the one hand, the way you play the game is incredibly simple, even by the standards of its genre, a genre that's known for being one of the most basic there is. You know, it's not like, say, Bit Trip, where you have to time your movements to the music. You don't have to worry about timing or rhythm in that respect. You just have to jump, duck, slide, dash, all that kind of stuff. But the way that it color codes each activity to a specific color. So when you jump, when you have to jump over an obstacle, I should say that obstacle will be outlined in red when you have to dash through something that object will be blue so that means that you don't have to really think too hard about what you have to do instead the color coding signals exactly what you need to do to keep going and in that way 
it almost makes the entire game this sort of continuous rhythm. It doesn't break up the pace too much. Instead, it focuses more on that recognition and getting into a flow of recognizing those patterns and reacting accordingly to them. I think that's a really simple and yet incredibly effective stylistic choice that it made. Yeah, I, I love that this game is all about the style. I think that's really incredible. And it, it is so distinctive, even though it's kind of, you know, it's cribbing from other uh, auto runners, like, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it, it does, it, it's, it really just punches you in the face <laughs> with the style, in, in a good mm-hmm. way. You know, I think it's, it's, uh, it really stands out. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it's great because you can tell, you can really tell that it was a single developer who made it both in good ways and in bad at times as well. There are some moments where the cutscenes, there are actually a lot of cutscenes between each level, but they're just a bit janky, I would say. And there are times where some of the animations feel almost incomplete. There are also moments where, say, some of the obstacles feel like they recycle themselves a bit. But, you know, considering that it was only one guy who made it, it's easy to give him some slack and realize, you know, for the limited capacity he had, it was still an, an overall impressive accomplishment because of that. And even if the mechanics itself i have to praise the music once again because even if the game itself repeats over and over again i'll take any excuse to keep listening to this funky soundtrack so everything kind of works together to to support that whole yeah it's, it sounds like it is a a very cohesive experience like and honestly i i appreciate a short game these days like we, we've talked a lot on this show about playing a lot of rpgs and there's like a lot of big games coming out and it's like honestly I love a curated experience made by a, a, a creator with a strong vision, and it mm-hmm. sounds like this is exactly what that what uh, Ariel Knights Never Yield is. So mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's great, frankly. That's definitely what it is, and I'll also say that this is a prime example of a game that only gets better the more you play it. You play through the first run on normal difficulty, and it's it's a really enjoyable time. But the thing is, in normal mode. If you played the demo, you'd recognize this. Whenever you get to an obstacle, the game slows down a lot to give you time to react to the obstacle before you. But then in hard mode, that slowdown effectively goes away, so you have much less time to react to whatever is coming at you. And while on the one hand, that is much more difficult, on the other, it's infinitely more satisfying when you don't have to slow down and instead the game settles into this breakneck pace and really addictive flow that you really get into it, and it does become more of a groove, more of a rhythm, and it's really, really appealing that way. And then I would say hard mode is honestly the best way to to experience this game because it emphasizes that speed and that um, overall just cohesiveness with it. And it does get incredibly challenging when you play through all the levels again and you get to the insane difficulty and the speed is even faster. But really the more challenging it is the more satisfying it is to pull off and because of how short the overall game is in total it doesn't feel too bad to play through it again and again to get better at it and unlock those additional levels of difficulty so yeah it might be tempting to be like oh wow this game is only an hour what kind of value do you get out of it it's very much designed in the vein of say classic arcade games that are meant to be replayed where you beat your high score and you just try to get better and better with each subsequent uh, subsequent run yeah i think that's it's such an interesting uh concept the idea of like oh are you getting the value is is the value directly related to the time spent within the game i 
always kind of bristle at that argument. Like, oh, it's so short. It's not really worth the time. It's like, dude, like, it's listening to an album only takes 45 minutes, and I love to sit and listen to an album. Like, it's kind of like that experience. I think there's so much... This is kind of going off on a tangent. This this isn't directly related to uh, Ariel Nats Never Yield. I think there is so much consternation among people who like video games about like whether or not they're getting the most bang for their buck that it really harms a lot of game development that's just my personal opinion Mm -hmm. Uh, but it sounds as though this game it really is a a true passion project and to me that should be celebrated whether or not it's an hour long or 20 hours long or you know a 300 hour rpg i think that's when you can celebrate an artist who really is putting their heart and soul into something i think that's worth worth the price of admission in my opinion Mm -hmm. it was as long as ariel knight himself wanted it to be and that's how long it should be and uh just just while we're kind of wrapping up the review here i do want to shout out the soundtrack is i'm just looking up on the nintendo website right now the soundtrack for this game is done by danime sama a detroit artist with vocals from artists all over the world so if you like the soundtrack check it out by danime dash sama quick question campbell call that out Mm -hmm. protagonist of this game what is his name again? So they never say it in the game, but if you look in the product descriptions, his name is Wally. Okay. I was going to say, is that a reference to, like, The Flash in any way? Because Wally West? Mm, it might be. I wouldn't say I noticed anything in the game that directly welcomes that. But then again, he is a guy running really quickly. Running really so. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably not too far of a leap. So that being said... Everybody go at least check out the demo. Like it's free. It's a free demo. Like if if you like the soundtrack, if you think you're intrigued, check out the the rest of the game, um, and of course check out Campbell's review over on Goomba Stomp. Uh, anything else you want to say to about um, Ariel Knight's Never Yield Campbell before we kind of wrap up this episode? Nothing in particular that we haven't already touched on, aside from the fact that just if you like a stylish game, or especially if you like a soundtrack that's kind of get you pumped up, get you excited check out this game or at the very least listen to the soundtrack because i've honestly been working to the soundtrack over the past week and it's been excellent love that love that love that that. all right well that being said we'll probably take this opportunity to wrap up this episode thank you as as always for listening Uh, i've been your host cameron daxon you can find me over on twitter at action daxon uh, you can also find some of my most recent writing over on Goomba Stomp. I've written a, re- a review for a great game called Wonder Boy Asha in Monster World, a-, a remake of an older game from the 90s, and that's absolutely my jam, so make sure you check that out. Uh, Mark, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at the Mark Helm. That, of course, is Mark with a C, Cal with a K. Uh, you can check out my coverage on Goomba Stomp of the Fujifilm device we talked about last week. I put out an official review for it if you're curious about all my thoughts on it. If you want to check out a game called Biomutant and want to know why you should never sink your time into it, please go check out my review because I wish I didn't have to sink the time into it. And yeah. <laughs> Get him. And of course, uh, Campbell, where can, we, where can we find you out there? Yeah, you can find all my games writing on GoombaStomp.com, and I have recently written articles on everything we've talked about in this episode, so if you want to read my review of Aerial Knights Never Yield, my review of Metopia, or read my thoughts on the Sonic 35, or Sonic 30th anniversary, and Dragon Quest 35 presentations, go check out GoombaStomp.com, um, and of course you can follow me on Twitter at CampbellSkill, uppercase CSG. I love it. And of course, 
at Express is also on Twitter. We are at an Express Nintendo, and we're on YouTube too. So make sure you follow us, subscribe, comment, all that kind of stuff. More engagement is better for everybody. Uh, that being said, we're going to wrap it up right here. Thank you as well, always, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Running the game, man, I'm on the right track. I'm running the game, man, I'm on the right track.